Girlfriends, welcome to another episode of Girlfriends and Goals. We're your hosts, Miosha and Samaria. This podcast is a space where we'll talk about friendships, life goals, a little bit of pop culture, and all things womanhood. Our top goal this year is to grow our podcast audience. So if you're new here or you're an avid listener of this podcast, please subscribe, leave us a five star rating, write a review, and be sure to share this episode with a girlfriend or two. We actually have a special guest for today's episode. Stacey Ann, welcome back to the Girlfriends and Goals podcast. Thank you so much. Yes, and hopefully you had a chance to listen to the last episode she was on, which was Sis Stop Doing Too Much. She graced us with her presence there, so she'll be joining us for today. Yes, and before we get into today's topic, you know, we start with a segment. Today's segment is Girlfriend Check-In, and today we're using a question from the We're Not Really Strangers conversation starter game, and the question today is, what is your happiest memory in the last year? So Stacey Ann, we'll start with you. Thank you. This one is very easy for me. My happiest memory was um, getting to see my parents for the first time since December 2019 in March of 2021. So uh, they flew in. Yeah, they flew in um, and stayed with me here in uh, the metro Atlanta area. And yeah, I hadn't seen my parents. I think that's the longest I have gone without seeing my parents in my entire life. So uh, yeah, that was that's the happiest memory easily, hands down. And they're they're great. They're in good health. So it was wonderful. Yes, I'm pretty sure many people can relate to that, given the last two years that we've had and having to be quarantined and separated. So I'm happy to see here that you were able to connect with them. Mm-hmm. Miosha, what about you? Oh, Samaria, you're going to get me because I actually have two and I can't decide, but I'll make them quick. (laughs) The first happiest memory that I have within the last year is one, starting this podcast with Samaria, more specifically the day that we did our first photo shoot. Looking back on that day was one, so much fun, but two, kind of emotional because I feel like it was just a good time to reflect back on all the time that we've been together and the memories and the pictures and videos that we have. So that's my first happiest memory. And then the second is my child's first birthday party. That day was so much fun. I literally walked around the whole day feeling like it was my first birthday, (laughs) even though it wasn't, I know, but yeah, those are my two happiest memories of the last year. Listen, he's not going to remember it. So it pretty much was your first birthday, girl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so my happiest memory was going back to Liberia for the first time after several years. Um, so I've always like, kept in touch with my family there. Uh, and I don't know, I've always missed home and longed for that day when I would go back. So just being there and meeting like the new kids. So obviously, you know, since the last time I was there, my cousins have had children who I've never met or even talked to. And I'm just getting to meet them and play with them and fall in love with them, have them fall in love with me. That was really, really special. So um, yeah, that that was my happiest memory uh, in the last year. Okay, okay. 
it is the month of March, which is Women's History Month. So as we started last week, we're going to shout out a woman-owned business. And this week, we are shouting out Amaris Janelle from Events by Amaris Janelle. She is an event planner here in Atlanta, Georgia, and she does like social events, a day of coordination for weddings, and then full-on wedding planning. And she's someone who I followed for quite some time. Um, we also went to school together, <laughs> went to college together, but you know, just kind of knew each other in passing. But it's just really phenomenal what she's built and just seeing her work is really inspiring. So I wanted to share her for this week's um, spotlight. Emerus Janelle, and then I'll, of course, I'll like leave the information in the description so that people can follow her and see her work as well. All right, we're going to jump into today's topic, which is exploring your fertility options, more specifically, the process of freezing your eggs. And how we got to this topic is the last time that we had Stacey Ann on, randomly after we finished recording, we started talking about freezing your eggs. And Samara and I realized that neither one of us had really any experience or know anyone close to us that has been through that process and it piqued our interest. And while we were talking, Stacey Ann let us know that she had gone through the process of freezing her eggs. And so we thought it would be great to have her back on today to just share some of her own personal experiences with our audience. So Stacey Ann, I guess I'll start with asking you just to tell us a little bit about how you came to this decision to embark on this journey to freeze your eggs. And an example is, how long did it take you to get there? How old were, were you? Anything that you feel comfortable with sharing? Thank you so much, Miosha. Um, I am going to be an open book. So, you know, you all should feel free to ask me anything. Um, there's probably nothing I'll be uncomfortable with, with asking. I'm really gonna, I'm really gonna spill the tea. I'm gonna tell you all of it so that people can have all of the information. Um, so I was 40 years old when I decided to freeze my eggs and how it came about Oh, I should explain. So I was 40 then. I am 44 and a half now. I'll be 45 this summer. So one of my very close friends from college, she and I have birthdays two weeks apart. And I was calling her for her birthday. Her birthday's two weeks before mine, I should say. I was calling her for her birthday when she turned 40. And I was like, hey, happy 40th, blah, blah, blah. And we're catching up about her and her husband and her two wonderful children. And, all this. and then suddenly the conversation, like you could literally feel the energy of the conversation shift. And she was just like, Stacy. So are you going to freeze your eggs? <laughs> like literally, I mean, that's like, look, when we're, we've been friends since we were 18. So, you know, we can talk about anything. She was just like, so what's going on? Like, are you going to freeze your eggs? I, I really think you should consider freezing your eggs. And I really told her I, I knew what egg freezing was. You know, I, I generally understood what it was, generally understood how it happened, but I never really thought about it seriously. I always thought, oh, I'm going to, wait to find my Prince Charming and, you know, I'm going to wait to find my husband and settle down, have my children that way, no egg freezing, no technology involved. And um, she was like, uh, okay, but I just turned 40 today and you're about to turn 40 in two weeks. So um, she's like, I really think you should just seriously consider it. Maybe just look into it, maybe just make an appointment. And I, I was like, you know what? All right, I, I'm going to think about it. And I didn't talk to her about it again. What's hilarious is I didn't speak to her about it again until like a couple months after it was done. Like I never talked to her about it again. I, I let it go. She, she let it go. She let me sit with it. And it took me 
um, probably maybe like a few days. And then I started just making phone calls around to different doctors. You need to find a reproductive endocrinologist, which we'll talk about later. Um, you know, and I, I was able to get an appointment and it just went from there. Like that, it was literally, that's exactly how it happened. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. And, and if you don't mind me asking, when you followed up with your friend, was she mm-hmm. shocked that you went through with it yes. without telling her? I'm yeah, sorry, she was. She was just like, so when were you going to tell me this? So I was just like, well, I just told you. She was like, okay, but this was, you know, but she knows me really well. So she knows like, I'm. once I decide something, I'll just execute. So that's what I was focused on after that. And, but she was very happy. She, she really was pleased. You know, she was like, yeah, this, this is a good idea. So, <laughs> got you. So my next question is, as you were deciding, so I know your friend kind of initiated it, but mm-hmm. did you share with anybody else as you were going through the process, like any family and friends and what was the feedback that they gave you? Okay, so my mom is a former registered nurse. She's re- she retired from nursing after a bit over 40 years. And so I told my mom, um, I didn't tell anyone else in my family. And I told one of my girlfriends here because um, she actually ended up, actually, I didn't tell her when I first made the decision and I first started going through the process. I told her later as the process was ongoing, because quite frankly, I also needed her to come with me to a couple of the medical appointments um, towards the end, towards the very, very end of the process. But that's it. I didn't tell anyone. And um, something that I think I really want to mention, I wasn't dating anyone at the time. but if I had been dating someone, if the person was not like my, my life partner or my husband, I probably would not have told that person. Um, just because I think when it comes to things like talking about a woman's repro- you know, reproductive uh, chances and fertility and all these other things, I just think like you may be inadvertently putting pressure on a man who may not be ready to be dealing with that kind of conversation. I, I froze my eggs for me. Right. I, I, re- I froze my eggs for my own potential, you know, future chances of having a child. So that's that's my two cents on that. Someone else, someone else may feel differently, like maybe they told their boyfriend, you know, that they were freezing their eggs and that's fine. There's obviously more than one way to do something. But for me personally, I don't think I would have told anyone um, unless it was like my husband or life partner. We plan to actually use those eggs together. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I would probably go that route too, uh, unless, you know, unless it was my husband, just because, you know, sometimes when you're dating, you do feel like, oh, this is forever, but you know, sometimes it's just not. And mm-hmm. so um, what's the point of bringing that up if eventually it's not even something that's relevant to that person? So um, I would, I'm completely on board with that. Um, did your mom have any reactions or was it just full support? Oh, yes. I Sorry, I didn't answer that part. Uh, so my mom was like, okay. I mean, she was like, all right. She's like, what are you going to do with them afterwards? I was like, let them sit there. Um, so, you know, and my friend, my girlfriend here was like, oh, yeah. She's like, that's a great idea. I mean, I, I really didn't meet any resistance, um, you know. And also, I remember I was also 40 years old. Right. So I had been dating. You know what I mean? It's not like I said I was going to do this at 30, which I think may have gotten me more resistance mm. um, than saying I wanted to do it at 40. But by the way, and we'll talk about this later, you should do it earlier than 40. <laughs> so, oh, OK. I can't wait to hear about that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it worked out for me, but still do it earlier. <laughs> yeah. So I know we so, talked about like what response you got then. But now when you bring this up in conversation, what 
what response do you get from people now? Oh, that's a great question. So I don't really bring it up that often. In fact, I, I it's really weird that I even told you all. I mean, I'm, I, I think I've just become more comfortable because I'm getting older. I've, you know, it's, it was, it was now almost five years ago. And in the last year, I think I've opened up a little bit more about it. Plus you see people more openly talking about it in society. Yeah. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And so, but really the response that I've gotten has been fine. I mean, no one has said anything to my face that they thought I was crazy. Everyone seemed to think it was a good idea. Um, I mean, they've known me a long time. You know, they know I don't have a partner or a spouse, like, you know, it, I've, it's a well thought out decision. Um, and I, so someone may feel some kind of way about it, but they haven't said anything to me. And if they do, that's fine too. I mean, I recognize that everyone makes different choices, but this is my choice. So that's how right. I look at it. Well, I can't imagine, I guess, what the negative responses or pushbacks would be because this whole process just gives you more options and more choices. So yeah, I couldn't imagine kind of where that conversation would go in the opposite direction. I think it has to do with, honestly, that's a, that's a really good point, Miosha. I think it has to do with the fact that there is this narrative since slavery that Black women are just endlessly fertile. Um, and so people, and it, it's an elective procedure. You're going to come out of your own pocket, which we'll, we'll talk about later. Um, in most cases, not in all cases, but in most cases. And so, um, you know, people are going to be like, why are you spending money on that? You know, there's, there's, I definitely can see that there, especially in our community, you know, it's like, why would you do that? Why don't you just wait for your husband? Are you not waiting on the Lord? Are you not, you know what I mean? Like essentially that I'm taking my own life into my hands and, you know, in some, in some ways I am, but in some ways I'm not, it's, it's just, it's, mm -hmm. it's one of those things. Yeah. yeah. I, I can definitely see that now that you bring that perspective up because I have heard things like, oh, well, you know, we can have kids for forever, girl. We don't have those yeah. types of problems. Yes. And it's like, th those are big assumptions about something as serious as our health. So I wanted to ask you if you could just tell us a little bit about what the process entailed for you. So like how long did it take, yeah. doctor's appointments, anything that you had to do at home? Yes. Okay. So here is the, here is the meat um, and potatoes. So basically um, this process is it is created with a, a medical protocol. So there are different protocols. There's probably at least four or five different protocols and the protocols have different medications in them, but they all do the same thing. They all stimulate the follicles uh, in your ovaries to produce multi mature multiple eggs instead of just one egg that you get every month when you menstruate. The one egg that you know goes through the whole cycle and mm -hmm. uh, eventually gets to because it's not used, or if it is used, you get pregnant. Instead of one egg, trying to get as many as, as you can. I've heard really as few as literally someone simulated in getting two eggs. And I've heard as, as many, as few as two eggs. And I've heard someone getting simulated in, and producing literally like 40 eggs. So it's a, it's a big, and that, that should tell you all something for the listeners. Fertility is a very individual thing. It is a very individual thing. People think like my mother had 10 children. I should be able to have 10 children. In theory, yes. In actuality, sometimes the answer is no. And so um, the process is about six weeks. No matter which protocol you use, it's probably gonna be at least five weeks. It could be a bit longer if you take, if you require more stimulation of your particular follicles. Everyone's body is different as we know. We've seen this in COVID, how COVID impacts people differently. Fertility is the same way. 
And so um, it, took, it took me for my process, it was six weeks. The first part of the six weeks is just going in. You have to go see the reproductive endocrinologist and it's timed to your menstrual period. So that's the wild thing too. Like it's, it's tied to essentially like when you're going to ovulate just to go and get a and to go and get a checkup and the checkup is you're going to get some blood work done you're going to test what's called your AMH which just means antimurulin hormone that's the hormone that essentially detects the hormones that the eggs that are in the follicles there's a hormone that is that is released into your bloodstream and the more the higher the, the rate of AMH the more eggs you have that's why AMH is so critical okay you're going to get another test for your follicle stimulating hormone fsh and that just means like literally how much how much fsh do you have and the numbers vary depending on where you are in your menstrual cycle so you're going to get some blood work done and you're also believe it or not going to get your uterine and ovarian cavity like checked out you're going to get you're going to get a physical exam like a gyn exam and an ultrasound to see what's going on in there okay after that and once that is clear then the reproductive endocrinologist that you work with and the nurse that you work with, they're going to time the injections because you all know that. <laughs> I think you knew that was coming, the injections that you'll have to give yourself or you'll have to ask someone to give to you if you are afraid of injecting yourself. You will get your injection, your protocol, your medication protocol. And you'll, in, in my case, I had to go to a special pharmacy like literally there was one Walgreens in the whole of Metro Atlanta that dispensed these fertility medications. So that's another thing, depending on the medications that you're prescribed, like you may not just be able to go down the street to your local pharmacy and get, you may have to go to this one pharmacy. And again, this is out of pocket. Um, most insurance does not, health insurance does not cover uh, egg freezing. It is an elective procedure. It's not necessary. Obviously I don't have to freeze my eggs to survive, right? So it's an elective procedure. Some companies like Google and Facebook have decided to pay for it for their on behalf of their female employees in the last like, I don't know, 10 years or less, which is awesome, right? That's awesome. But just know it's an elective procedure. So to, um, I guess, make a long story short, once I went and picked up the, and it's a gigantic box of medications because it's a whole bunch of vials. Uh, it's enough vials for uh, at least two, in my case, at least two weeks of stimulation. And what it really involves is literally they, the pharmacist explains to you how to do it when you go pick up the box. Like, yes, literally like these are the, this is the proper needle for this particular medication in this file. This is the proper needle for this one. And the protocol will be some combination of follicle stimulating hormones where you give yourselves injection and as yourself an injection two to three times a day, usually in your abdomen, usually in your, you can, some people will say, some doctors will say you can do it in your upper thigh. It's basically near the area, right? Near your reproductive area. Um, I did it in my abdomen. You do it two to three times a day and it is timed. You have to do it at the certain, you gotta do it at the same time each day, like the two to three times a day, each day for the two weeks. So one day I was out on a date somewhere in Buckhead or something. I had to like quietly excuse myself and go into the bathroom. Seriously, I brought it with me in, you know, a Ziploc bag, brought the medication, brought the needle with me. I had to like inject myself in the bathroom in the restaurant and then, you know, come out and sit down and resume the date. So, wow. That's, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> that's, you got to do that for two to three weeks. And then, um, and again, it depends on how much stimulation you're going to need. And all the while, um, after the first appointment, the couple of weeks before you, or the, it's maybe like three to four weeks before you start the injections. After that first appointment, you don't go back to the doctor until after you've actually started stimulating yourself. 
And then as the, the two week window or two to three week window, depending on how much stimulation you need, you know, gets further and further along, you'll start going into the doctor like basically almost every day to get an ultrasound to see how your ovaries are doing because they should be big. You know, the bigger, the better, uh, quite frankly. For some people, they won't be as large because they just don't have as many eggs. But ideally, in a perfect world, if you have a healthy woman with a good ovarian egg reserve, they're, when I say, I mean, big, huge balls. Um, and you should be able to, you know, the, the nurse um, should be able to very clearly, the doctor should be able to see them very clearly as you stimulate more and more. Um, and so, yeah, that's basically the procedure. The final part of it is at the very end, you take an injection to essentially prime the eggs to be easily like um, retrieved. And the egg retrieval process, that's like a, an injection that you take the night before the egg, retrieval, the egg retrieval. The egg retrieval is usually early the next morning. And it is a simple procedure. Honestly, it's just literally almost like a turkey baster. It's a needle. It's an aspirator. You take the reproductive endocrinologist sticks the needle in through your, um, you know, your and up to your ovaries and literally just starts take, she can see them on the screen, right? And starts literally like basically taking them out with the needle. You're uh, under anesthesia. So you don't know any of oh. this is going okay. on. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> under anesthesia. Let me, let me, I should have prefaced that. Let me, yeah, you're under anesthesia. So it's a, it's a real medical procedure. And that I want to make that very clear for anyone um, listening. It is a real medical procedure. You will need to be knocked out because nobody wants to see a big needle being inserted inside themselves. Um, and, um, and that's it. And it literally should take, it, it takes less than an hour. In fact, it may even take less than 30 minutes, depending on how many eggs are retrieved. In my case, um, at age 40 years and one month, I did it a month after I turned 40. Um, they had 22, they retrieved 22 eggs, which for my age is a lot. For my age back then was a lot. 22 eggs, 17 of them were mature enough to freeze. So I have 17 frozen, they call them oocytes, 17 frozen eggs um, at one of the local hospitals. Yeah. Wow. So wow. I, I have a couple of questions that we didn't send to you, <laughs> but that just kind of came up. Um, I was wondering mm -hmm. if you know, um, is there any like, are there any health things that need to be done before you take this? For example, I know fibroids tend to be common in African-American women. Mm -hmm. So like would fibroids be something that need to be removed prior to this happening? And then the second thing was, how long was your healing process like after that final procedure? Oh, that's a great question. So the first question is, um, I know someone else. So I had two tiny fibroids. When I say tiny, I mean like tiny. Um, probably smaller than a dime, uh, one inside and one outside my uterus. Before I had this procedure, I now have a few more fibroids and they're bigger um, because of the hormones that I stimulated myself with cause the, you know, fibroids are, are fibroids, PCOS, all of these conditions are generally a result of too much estrogen. It's estrogen dominance, right? And so part of the stimulation process is a whole, makes your estrogen levels go, it's like you're pregnant, like really like you're late, late pregnancy by the end. And so even though it was a small window, believe it or not, it actually made my fibroids much worse. So if you already have fibroids because of what I just explained, like how I had two tiny ones and then they became a couple more and significantly bigger, you need to discuss it very carefully with the reproductive endocrinologist because 
it's not so much unless the fibroid is blocking the way the essentially blocking them their ability to, to get the eggs from your ovary it's probably not a problem in terms of the actual procedure but it could wreak havoc on your system the hormones stimulating that could wreak havoc and make your fibroid issues much much worse and not and it won't take that long i mean you're not going to you know they're not going to expand and grow in a couple of weeks but you know months you know in a few more months in a year you might have more and bigger fibroids. Mm -hmm. So that's part one. To answer the second part of your question in terms of recovery, I'm going to be very honest with y'all. Um, the most pain I've ever been in my life was the day after this procedure. Um, so far, uh, COVID was rough for me too, but the most pain, um, physical pain I've ever been in my life was the day after this procedure for about 24 hours. Like literally just that one morning when I woke up, Thank God I had been prescribed. My girlfriend, the same girlfriend, um, had, when we finished at the procedure, before she took me home um, from the hospital, she stopped at the pharmacy and filled the prescriptions that the doctor recommended. And so I had the meds um, and I took them. I was still in a lot of pain. Um, I, when I said, I can't really describe the pain. It was not necessarily emanating to me. It didn't feel like it was coming from my uterus or reproductive system area. Like my legs, like my, the top of my thighs, which obviously are close to that area. I, I can't describe, it just was very hard. Um, and it was so hard, like it was so painful. I don't even know if I ate anything that day. I may have drank some water. I was just in so much pain. But the strangest part is like, eventually I, you know, meds like that have to kind of build up in your system. So I took one in the morning. I took one in like midday. And by the third or fourth pill, it started feeling better enough for me to sleep. And then miraculously, I woke up the second day after the procedure and I was perfectly fine. Mm. It is the way I, I can't. So I, I personally think it, my body does not, is very sensitive to hormones. And I just think that really, that burst of hormones that you get right before they're going to take the eggs out. And then once they take the eggs out, it's like the A hormone drop. levels drop drastically. Mm. So I, I just, I, you know, I chalk it up to that, but I was fine. There is a, a condition, it's very, very rare, but there is a condition of, um, for a very small group of, of women, um, after they have their eggs removed, their body does something weird. It basically starts, um, it's almost like, you know, you hear about pregnant women towards the very, very end where their bodies swell with all this water mm -hmm. and like their electrolytes get out of balance. There is a condition, a similar condition like that. It's very rare. Um, for some people who um, have had this procedure. So you kind of have to watch it. You, that's why you, you have to be very, the first day or two after the procedure, you got to really be paying attention to your body. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Wow. Yeah. But that's it's a rare, rare, rare complication. And <laughs> were these like shy. strong meds like Percocet or just like, yes. okay. Gotcha. Yes. That's like, all. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Even aside yeah. from that rare condition, it sounds <clears throat> like it's very close to like a postpartum hormonal dump, like after you give birth. So it sounds pretty similar to that, but actually um, elevate it because your hormones aren't gradually increasing over the course of 10, 11 months. It's right. like of within a weeks. few short right. weeks. Yeah. Right. Wow. Instead of 40 weeks, it's like two to three weeks. Yeah. So it's, it's just like your estrogen levels by the time you're ready to take the eggs out are just like astronomical. Like it's, it's like, it's wild. And the more eggs you have, of course, the higher your level. So, you know, it, it, that's why this is such a unique and individual experience. I don't want to scare anyone. I would do it over again tomorrow if I had to. Um, I don't want to scare anyone, but I want you all to know the truth. 
Um, you know, I, I want you from my perspective and that these things are possibilities. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about cost earlier and how mm-hmm. this was something that your insurance didn't cover. Yeah. And so if you wouldn't mind just giving yeah. us a little bit more information of kind of what that experience was like for you from a financial standpoint and just maybe the reality of, I would say, like normal women doing this, not celebrities. Yes. So that's a thing I've heard um, a lot uh, just out there in the world, uh, the couple of times that I've talked to people who were going to do this procedure, I just happened to know them and they happened to be talking about it. And they're like, oh, you know, nobody understands because it's only celebrities. And we've only seen celebrities do this. Like I've, I've heard, I've definitely heard that before. It cost me $13,000 out of pocket. Most of that is the medication because you know, these, these pharmacy, these pharmaceutical companies, these meds are not cheap. Um, most of that is the medication and quite frankly, the 15 million ultrasounds that, you know, you know, when you're pregnant, you go to the doctor at the end all the time is the same, the, the multiple ultrasounds you need to be able to look at the growth of the, uh, egg sacs. That's, that's really what the bulk of the cost is. And I was able to pay for it. I, it was not a problem for me. Um, I do know of people who were able to take out a loan. There are specialized companies that offer loans, you know, one to usually three-year loans in terms of repayment, um, who will pay up front the cost for you, you know, or they'll, the, the medical uh, center or the hospital will build this loan company. They'll pay the whole thing. And then the loan company will, you know, send you your monthly payments, your invoice, and you just pay over the predetermined period of one to, it's usually I think like one to three years, as I said. Even now, that was back in 2017 and it cost me 13 grand in Metro Atlanta. Even now it's usually somewhere between between 10 and $20,000 for the whole thing. Um, and it, it varies also based on location. Like definitely it's more expensive to do this in New York City and Los Angeles I and DC, hands down. Okay, it's maybe gonna be cheaper to do this in the middle of Iowa. Okay, like it just, it's dependent upon location. There's a lot of things that kind of factor into it, Um, but just reasonably expect to pay between 10 and $20,000. And there is also, that's the cost of the whole thing, the medication, the, um, uh, as I said, the the, um, ultrasounds, the doctor's visits, also the procedures in that cost. So the procedure is accounted for in there. Um, The only thing that's not accounted for is the storage costs. I pay $400 every year, every the anniversary, every year of the procedure, I pay $400 to store the, the eggs, to keep storing them. And these eggs can be stored really for a long time. I mean, a few years ago, some doctors implanted, you know, were able to unfreeze an egg, thaw an egg, mix it with someone's sperm and implant an embryo. And the mother gave birth, you know, nine, 10 months later. And mm-hmm. that egg was 24 years old or something like that. It was... It was had been frozen a long time. Is that storage fee uh, just like a flat rate or based on how many eggs are like retrieved? That's a really good question. I don't know. I've always assumed it was a flat rate because it's the same storage fee every year. And I, this is my fifth year. I mean, I pay it every July. I, I, that's a really good question. It may be because again, it is, it is actually more, the average person who is between like 35 and 40 who's, who, does the egg retrieval process and has eggs frozen, it's more typical to get three to 10 eggs. And then all of those won't be mature. In most cases, you'll get at least a couple that are not mature enough to be in the freezer. So that's much more common. But again, I've heard of someone literally getting 40 eggs. Like, you know, it just, it depends on your ovarian reserve. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation. It just so happens that I have 
even back then at age 40, I had pretty high ovarian reserve. Even today at age almost 45, my um, AMH levels are significantly higher than they should be, which is great, but my eggs are old, right? My eggs are old. So if I ever have a child, my guess is I'm going to need to use those frozen eggs because they're younger than what my eggs are today. But some people, some of us are going to be very fortunate. And I would encourage you, if you are 30 years old and whether you're married or you're single, but you haven't had any children at all, if you're 30, some people would say do it younger, but most 20-something-year-olds are not interested in this kind of stuff. I would say by the time when a woman starts hitting around 30, then these other conversations kind of come into play. I would say if you're 30 and you don't have any children, please go to a reproductive endocrinologist or at least your GYN and ask them to give you an AMH and an FSH blood test. It's just like any other blood test. You're not going to feel any more pain than normal. It's out of your arm. <laughs> you don't have to, you don't have to stick your stomach. It's, you know, just a regular blood test. And um, the results will come back and they'll be able to interpret them for you. So at least, you know, if you have average AMH level for your age, or maybe some of you are going to have more, I had more. Unfortunately, some of you are going to have less. Mm -hmm. And when you have mm -hmm. less than is average for your age, that may mean that you have what's called diminished ovarian reserve. And if you find that out at 30, I promise you, it is better to find that out at 30 than find it out at 40. That's why I say I should have done this before. I had higher than average ovarian reserve, but what if I did not? When I did this at 40, it worked out for me. I got a good number of eggs. But what if I didn't have that? What if I had diminished ovarian reserve? I could have maybe only had one or two eggs and tried to thaw them and they didn't become embryos when they tried to fertilize. I mean, anything can happen. Even now, even with the number of eggs I have now, there are no guarantees that all that any of them will be when fertilized with sperm will become an embryo. There's a better chance the more eggs you have. There's a much better chance. Every new, every other, every additional egg gives you a better chance. But there are still no guarantees. Just like we know in the real world, outside of medical intervention, some people get pregnant four times a year and miscarry every single time. It's just, it's the, it's, there's a lot that goes into this, as you all know. A lot of variables to make an actual human being. Yes. I, I was going to say, I had a similar conversation with my previous um, OB and she basically it was just like, you know, we shouldn't be making assumptions about our fertility health just because we think that we're young, we have time. And she was just like, you know, I understand that women are taking slightly different paths today than we may have 20, 30 years ago, but your reproductive timeline is a real thing. Mm -hmm. And so like you said, she mentioned the age 30, maybe even a few years younger, age 27. If you feel like you're that person who isn't in a rush to have children, even if you are married or in a relationship, mm -hmm. at least get your hormone levels tested so that you're making a decision from an informed standpoint and not just assuming because all the women in my family have easily gotten pregnant or I knew this person who had a baby at 50 yes. you know, using antidotal evidence to make decisions about, you know, such a sensitive and important area of our lives. And some people think all the women in their family had such an easy job, but like, as you start digging, you find out there's a lot of history there where, you know, people waited several years before they were able to, it's just not something that maybe that generation had talked about. So this is a very timely conversation because most of my friends are turning 30 this year. So mm -hmm. You know, this is definitely a, a timely conversation. Uh, I wanted to ask you, because you have talked about things that were like uncomfortable and painful during this process. What would you say 
was the most uncomfortable thing about this whole process? And then what was the most rewarding? The most uncomfortable thing, I mean, two things, it's not fun to stick yourself. I mean, God bless those who are, especially those who have juvenile diabetes and for the longest time had to really stick themselves with real needles. Now they have those devices that make it a, a lot less painful. But when I was growing up, my friends who had juvenile diabetes, they had regular needles and they stuck themselves right, it hurt. Um, and just imagine doing that in your abdomen at some point, quite frankly, um, just from the injection site, injection site and trying to vary the injection site around my abdomen, like my abdomen began to harden a little bit. It wasn't temporary. The pharmacist told me that might happen and it would eventually relax. But just the constant like tensing of the, it, it, that was not fun, but it wasn't the end of the world. So that was one challenging thing. The other challenging thing is like I said, the day after that procedure and I was in, woo, I was in pain. Um, I don't know. I may feel pain like that again if I ever have have a child. But that that one day, boy, I, that was that was. I I literally like was delirious with pain at one point. Um, before the meds really built up in my, enough in my system to make a difference. Um, so those were the two most challenging parts. And then the best part was after the procedure was done and I recovered from you know the 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 difficult day after. And then as more days passed. Honestly, you just have a different way for me. I just started viewing the world differently. Um, I felt like I, the things that I was putting on hold, I started doing, you know, I was like, I started making plans to save some money so I could buy a house. And I did the next summer, not that summer, but the next one to save up money and everything. I decided, you know, I was just going to do things. I started traveling by myself more and just doing all kinds of, I really like just started living my life, I think, more because I had always, like many women, I don't I don't think I'm the only one, certainly. I'd been saying like, oh, I'm gonna wait for my husband to have this experience and that experience. And all of those things are wonderful. You know, I think it's a really sweet, um, loving gesture to, to think in your head like, oh, I wanna share this experience with this person. I get it, but there are no guarantees in life. Um, sadly, we know that there are no guarantees in life. And so I really stopped planning for this person who was not there at the time and, you know, who may materialize someday. I'm in a long-term relationship now and it's awesome. Um, but I really just started living. So that was the, it, it basically freed me up to do other stuff because now I didn't have to look at every single man like I dated, like, oh, is this my last chance of meeting someone who might settle down with me? And as sad as that sounds, I really think that at some point I started feeling that way. Like, you know, I was, again, I was 40, like, this is, is this my last chance? Is this, you know, do I have to go out of my way to be on my absolute best behavior? You know, I feel like even at that stage, like I feel like I couldn't necessarily even always be myself. I was very much sometimes like walking on eggshells when going on dates and thing because you don't know what someone's proclivities are, what turns them off, you know? And once I had those eggs in that freezer, boy, I, <laughs> I was like- Your girl is I, free. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, once I had them in the freezer, honestly, like it's again, there are still no guarantees that those will produce a, a child for me. But now there's more of a chance. And it just it just made me feel like I could get fully my life back and I could fully be myself. And I didn't have to be so concerned with like finding a man because I will say something else. And I don't know, um, you know, I know that you all are younger than me. I know that you all are, I believe in your early 30s are about to be 30. For me, I can speak and I know um, Yoshi, you already you already mentioned that you you have you have a child. So this probably won't happen to you because you already have a child. But when mm -hmm. I was 35 or 36, I began to notice that my body started doing weird things. My mind started doing weird things. Like I would be in a grocery store and someone's young, you know, small toddler or whatever would be in the back 
Like by the, I'd be in the front by the cash register and someone's toddler in the back by the, like the seafood or something or the meat section would start screaming and crying. And before 35 or 36, like I would hear it. I'd be like, oh, you know, hope that child is okay. You know, they're probably stressed out or whatever. Whatever you do when you're that age that stresses you out. But, um, you know, I didn't really think much of it. it when 35, 36 hit and I didn't have a child yet, like my mind started like acutely focusing on like this child and their, like your brain and your body do something because reproduction is probably the most important thing that your body thinks about other than keeping you alive. Mm -hmm. Right. And so your brain and your body start to almost like play tricks on you when you get to a certain age and you have not had a child, like your attention towards like it's hard to explain. And I thought I was going crazy. I was like, well, maybe it's just me because, you know, whatever. But then I started asking some of my other friends who are around the same age or even older who don't have children, like, did you ever have an experience like this? And all of them said all the women said they did. So it's something you're if you don't have a child. Mm -hmm. for apparently not just me but even some other people like your body at a certain age is going to start being like okay what's going on <laughs> like where's yours <laughs> you hear that child back there where is yours <laughs> I feel like it's the opposite when you have kids you just you don't even hear it anymore you're like oh that kid is crying is that mine I don't know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so uh just thinking back to when you suggested this topic for the podcast why do you think it's an important conversation for women but especially black women to have so I really want us as a community to get our heads out of the sand I see this very often and it's women in general but it's especially black women and other women of color who have been conditioned to believe that we're just endlessly fertile it's like one of the vestiges of slavery it's just it's a lot of like brainwashing and stereotyping and all these things that we've been led to believe. Yes, some of us are, and we can see that, right? That's why certain women were, certain women who were enslaved were, ended up being not only mothers of, you know, many, many children, they were even um, nurses for the, you know, slave owner's family. And all. Yes, to some extent, okay, I get it. But um, in general, fertility is a very individual Thing. Unfortunately and sadly, I know people who were in who found out basically they're infertile at like age 29, who had been married since they were 25 and been trying to have children, and they found out that they were infertile. Now, sometimes it's not the woman, sometimes it's the man, sometimes it's actually both people, sometimes it's the woman and the man. But fertility is so such an individual thing. It is not smart of us to assume, um, especially as we get older, to assume that we are always going to be able to have children without the help of science and medicine. Some of us are going to be very blessed and very fortunate to be able to do that. Most of us will. Infertility is not something that affects most people. But for that, you know, 10% or so, it's better for you to find that out at age 30 than it is for you to find it out at age 40. Because at age 40, and as you get older than that, your eggs, the mitochondria that are used to basically, they're, they're the energy source of all of our cells, including eggs, which we know is a cell that eventually divides many times until it becomes a person. The mitochondria are just growing weaker and weaker over time as we age. And that's the same thing for the mitochondria that you know keep your eggs healthy and you know in good condition. And so that's what, so again, I still have a lot of eggs for my age. I just did an AMH test uh, like two months ago. And my doctor was like, your image is pretty good. She's like, you know, you could probably get pregnant still. 
But the, the issue is these are old eggs. It's probably they are more likely to have chromosomal abnormalities and things like that. So again, I just want us to take our heads out of the sand to not think, not assume that all of us are going to be equally fertile. I promise you that's not the case. I also promise you that some of you know people who have had children actually with medical assistance. Either they had to take, you know, clomid shots to um, basically force like multiple ovulations at one time um, to help them get pregnant, or they had to use IVF. They just didn't tell you. They just did not tell you. I, I promise you that some of you know people who needed assistance, you know, and they just didn't tell you, but they have a beautiful, healthy child that you love. And that's all you need to know, right? That's all, that's all you need to know. So if another woman were to come to you and say that she was considering freezing her eggs, what are some things you would tell her to be aware of or to think about before she starts the process? Um, one, the, the biggest thing, which I haven't talked about really at all, is that, um, again, and you alluded to it earlier, Miosha, when you're, you're pumping your body full of hormones, an insane amount of hormones in a very short period of time, like just if you are someone who suffers from PMS, particularly bad PMS, just imagine that like to the 10th power. Mm -hmm. um, and so there will be in some people's cases, for me, there was there will be a roller coaster of emotions um, that are being basically driven by your body's response to the hormone levels that it is experiencing for the first time. So that's one, your, just your mental state because of the hormone injections. Then number two, the emotions that you may, or just depending on you as an individual, you may or may not feel around having to even do this or having to even consider this kind of procedure. I felt um, empowered in some ways because I'm like, okay, I know what's going on with my body. I know generally what my ovarian reserve is. That's great. I have some information, but I also felt really embarrassed. I felt really angry with myself. And to some extent, I think with God, like, why am I even having, like, why do I even have to be in this position to be thinking about this? Like, why don't I have a husband or a partner already? Why am I 40 and still without a husband or a partner? You know, why is this, why is this my particular fate in life? And I think that's something that no one really talks about. Like if you are going through egg freezing is the first part of IVF for those of you who aren't aware. This is the first part. The next part is literally taking the eggs that were retrieved, mixing them with sperm in a test tube, and then letting them do whatever they're going to do and divide a bunch of times until they become enough cells to implant essentially as an embryo. And that from then, you know, the embryo gets implanted and hopefully it will keep growing and become a full you know, fledged baby that can be birthed into the world. So for those of, for those people who go through the process with a partner or a spouse, they have someone to help them. That's like, you know, team goal. We're going to have a baby. This is what we're doing. This is the end result. When you go through it by yourself, I think the emotions are probably different. You know, the end result, when you freeze eggs, right. I could take my eggs right now and use a sperm donor if I wanted to. I mean, I'm in a relationship, but let's just, you know, Let's just say I wasn't in a relationship. I could take my eggs right now, use a sperm donor and go through the whole process and perhaps produce a baby, right? It's a different, it's like a different kind of conversation, but most people who freeze their eggs don't use the eggs right away. It's not like IVF where you go through the rest of the process right away, you know, or in the next like month or so, basically. It's not like that. The eggs are still chilling at the hospital, right? Um, five years later. So it's a different feeling like it's just a different emotional feel. It's, just, it's, it's really interesting. And I would want her to consider all of the things I just talked about 
the hormone roller coaster, and then your own internal feelings about this decision that you've made, you know, and try not to beat yourself up about it. That's what I would say. Yes. So um, last question. Thank you so much for sharing everything with us. I've been learning a lot. But are there any resources that you found helpful that you'd like to share? So I would say when I went through this um, almost five years ago, I, I mean, Google is still your best friend. I some of the resources that I use then, I mean, the procedure, the IVF, the egg freezing IVF process has not changed really materially since it was introduced in this. It, it's really the protocols, maybe the medications may be different, but it's basically the same process. So I'm not worried about, you know, giving you incorrect information. What I said will still be true. Um, but, you know, there are always new studies. There are always new medications used to simulate the ovaries. So I would encourage you all to do a Google search, look for egg freezing clinic, egg freezing procedure, and just read the latest up-to-date information. Um, and I would also encourage you all to watch this documentary on OWN called Eggs Over Easy. It's narrated by Keisha Knight-Polium. It was um, released January 2022, so just you know last month. It is a great, great documentary about not just egg freezing you know, with single women, but also IVF, uh, people who choose not to have Children, there's a young woman on there and she she's probably younger than me. I mean, if I'm 44, she's probably still in her late 30s. She did a tubal ligation. Like she never yeah. wants children, never had children, does not want children and wanted permanent birth control. And she was able to finally find a doctor who would tie her tubes. She did the, that and that's her choice. And so it covers all of these topics. It covers general infertility. Like I said, it, it covers basically everything. It covers some, a young woman and her husband she has polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS. Again, another estrogen dominant challenge of the fertility of the reproductive system. There's a whole you know, segment on her and you know, their journey and maybe they might use a donor egg. For those of you who don't know, this is when people donate eggs and get paid for it. This is the kind, this is what you do. People who can't have children may select a donor egg just like Someone who doesn't have a male partner may use a sperm donor. Yeah. So yes, those are the resources I would say. Definitely do a thorough Google search and check out Eggs Over Easy. I watched it myself. It's it's obviously, it's very compelling. Nice. Wow. Well, thank you so, so much for being an open book and for sharing like everything that you went through and giving advice. Yeah, like I said, a lot of people in my life are turning 30 this year. So very timely and we greatly appreciate you. Um, thank you guys, listeners, for tuning in to this episode of the Girlfriends and Goals podcast. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Girlfriends and Goals podcast. And if you haven't subscribed already, please go ahead and do that now. Don't forget to rate, review, and share. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.